everyone. I'm Margie Alanis, and this is Farm Her Talks, thoughtful conversations to connect and inspire the farm her in all of us. This episode is brought to you by Nationwide. Everybody eats and all food starts at the farm. We've been carrying on this conversation over the past year about everybody eats. And what this really means to us is real conversations on real issues that affect farmers and society as a whole. Because one thing we all have in common is food. And so in agriculture, there are so many parts and pieces that go along with it. And Nationwide recognizes that. And together, we are working to uncover some of those stories that exist all along the food chain. Because all of the parts and pieces, whether it's the livestock, the agriculture, the, the crop growing, whatever that is, the science, the food distribution, all of those parts and pieces matter so much to that food chain, and they have a far-reaching effect that's not always visible. So together, we're going to tell those stories on those parts and pieces that are so important to the whole. And now we are going to be speaking with Dr. Olga Bolden-Tiller, who serves as the head of the Department of Agriculture and Environmental Sciences, as well as Assistant Dean of Development for the College of Agriculture, Environment, and Nutrition Sciences at Tuskegee University. That is a mouthful. Olga, welcome to Farm Her Talks. Thank you so much, Margie, for having me today. I'm very excited about the opportunity. Yes, me too. Me too. So our friends at Nationwide told us about you and uh, what great work you do. And I knew that this was something that we definitely needed to connect with. So before we jump into all of what those things entail that that I listed, I don't even know how you keep it straight, your title there. Um, but, you know, you do a lot of things and a lot of important work. And we're going to definitely get into that. But first off, Let's talk a little bit about your background. I always love to know what led people to agriculture. Do you have a background in farming or agriculture, or was it a focus on science? What was your, uh, you know, step into this industry? To be quite honest with you, I always kind of think of myself as an accidental Aggie. But when I look back on things, I'm thinking, you know what? It really wasn't accidental. I am from rural Georgia, grew up in a little one red light town. I am definitely from town, um, but town was very small. So there were, you know, when you left town, you definitely saw the farm right. and what have you. Um, in my community, we actually have a lot of timber in southeast Georgia, a little town called Homerville, as I mentioned. And... We did, as most rural towns, we were very strong in 4-H, very strong in FFA, very strong in FHA, which is Future Homemakers of America, now FCCLA. And in fact, my mother was the home economics teacher for our town. Uh And so I grew up taking part in all of that for certain. uh, My activity in 4-H was fun times for me and my friends as I got into high school, FHA and FFA, did a lot of activities together. And so I definitely participated in, in a lot of those types of things. Um, in terms of my interest, though, I was always interested in reproductive biology, interested in why females had issues getting pregnant. And so when I was thinking about college and, and moving forward accordingly, that's what was on my mind. However, because I had so much exposure in the space of agriculture, I did understand that a lot of the research and reproduction was actually done in farm animals. Mm-hmm. And as such, I elected to actually major in animal sciences as an undergraduate student at Fort Valley State 
a land-grant institution in Georgia, and subsequently went on to pursue my PhD at the University of Missouri-Columbia as a National Needs Fellow in Animal Sciences as well. So even though I had that passion for reproduction, um, I understood that agriculture was the center of it all and our understanding of everything, and I felt very comfortable in that space. And so I've decided to continue my work and my interest in the field of agriculture and have really enjoyed it over the years. I I love hearing these stories, like these windy paths of how somebody lands in this industry, because, you know, outside looking in, it, it seems like it's a linear path, right? Like you have to have some involvement in it as a kid, but there are so many people like you out there, right? Who we are so blessed and lucky to have in this industry uh, with your talent, but it, it's just unique, right? And um, so I'm so glad that you, you found your way to it. I do have to ask, like... Um, it sounds like somewhat of a unique path, the reproductive sciences and the the uh, path you took through the PhD. Um, were there people who pushed you along the way? Have you always been like a super driven person? I, I'm guessing that you are, right? Because you don't accomplish all of these things without getting there. But um, have you had certain mentors or certain people that, that pop out as the ones who kind of helped push you along that path? Well, you know, it, it's very interesting when I always kind of think of my story. I didn't have parents who, you know, said, do this, do that. Um, they just were good people and are good people. They enjoy life. I have a lot of sisters. So people are like, well, were you competitive with your sisters? And I'm like, no. <laughs> um, my parents just gave us a good, solid space to grow. And like I said, even though I wasn't thinking agriculture as a career, it was always a part of my life. Like I've, I've had the privilege of knowing four of my great grandmothers in my lifetime and visiting them on their farms and things of that nature. So that was just always a part of our life. So I felt very comfortable in exploring my passion in terms of science and what have you in the agricultural space. But with that being said, I certainly had supporters and sponsors who gave me support without me even asking and probably without me even realizing it through the years when I said, hey, I'm interested in going out to Idaho when I was 18 years old to work on a sheep experiment station. My parents were like, oh, oh okay. But they didn't say you can't go or you shouldn't go. Um, they knew that it would be a different experience for me coming from South Georgia uh, but they were supportive in me going. Um, no one said you have to go do an internship, but people were supportive when I expressed interest in those types of opportunities for myself. And so coming from a family, I have a, a lot of sisters, as I indicated, a number of aunts who are um, well-educated in the college. It never occurred to me that I couldn't or shouldn't do anything that I found of interest. And and I'm a lover of life, and, and I enjoy life. And like I said, agriculture is always food, and food is always happiness. Um, so I always have good experiences in those spaces. So I've never been encouraged to do anything differently. And so anything that kind of piqued my interest, I pursued it. And like I said, I've just had the fortune to have people along the way with me knowing or not knowing, um, you know, being supportive and, and not hindering me, which probably has been the, the best thing that has happened for me. Certainly my undergraduate advisor whose lab I worked in when I expressed an interest in working in an animal science research lab was happy to have me. 
um, great marriage. I was enthusiastic about the research and he was enthusiastic about having super cheap labor. Likewise, in my graduate program at Missouri, I had a very supportive research advisor, Dr. Mike Smith, who was also very supportive. And really that entire community within our department was supportive. Um, I had always indicated that I really would probably go into academia as a career choice. And so the opportunities to pursue professional development that would enhance me as a candidate for academia were afforded to me as a student there. And then I went on to a postdoc at MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas. And my mentor there was also very supportive. And there I established the foundation for the research that I carried into my faculty position in academia. So all of those folks have been supportive and I've been able to reach back and ask them questions along my way. Um, along with a plethora of others, including my current dean here at Tuskegee University, Walter Hill, who is well known across the agriculture industry, but um, he's very supportive and very excited that I'm excited um, about the agricultural space and the work that we do here at our university and beyond. Yeah. Well, you know, those those mentors, all those different parts and pieces, like, I don't know that I realized it when I was, you know, like 20 or 22 or, you know, when I was first entering into the work world. But now looking back, I mean, they all matter so much, you know, they, they really mm-hmm. do. They're like building blocks in a person. <laughs> and um, so we'll get into mentoring a little bit more uh, later. But you you just mentioned Tuskegee. So can you tell me a little bit about what your role there is today? Well, I am definitely um, a woman with a lot of hats, I'll tell you. Um, One thing about being at Tuskegee University, it is a world-renowned institution, and especially for agriculture because of George Washington Carver and others who have um, really shaped agriculture through their work here at Tuskegee University. And so there are so many different opportunities here. Interestingly, we are a very small, relatively small institution Um, of only about 3,000 students, although about 15% of our total student population are in our College of Agriculture. Um, As such, I get the opportunity in my role as a professor to be a researcher, and, and I'm passionate about maintaining my role as a researcher and having graduate students and what have you. Um, it's it's tough because I'm doing a lot of different things, a lot of moving parts, but all of those things bring me pleasure and, and being in a space where you're happy where you work is important. And so I'm still a professor, so I still do research as a scientist. I, I like being on the ground and being connected to students, so I still teach a freshman level class so I can keep my hand on the pulse of things. Um, with incoming students, and I teach a graduate class in another semester so I can also kind of keep up with with what graduate students are thinking. I think as a leader at the institution, it's very important that I know firsthand what the needs are and that some of that's not coming secondhand. And because the institution is relatively small, I like to say, you know, everyone is is within a grasp. Mm -hmm. Um, As the department head of what I would call an umbrella program, we have our animal sciences program in the department, but we also have our natural resources, plant and soil sciences and agribusiness and ag economics programs within the department as well. And so being able to interface with individuals across all of those disciplines on a regular basis um, has really 
strengthen me as a leader, but also in the agricultural space. It, it allows me to stretch and think beyond just reproductive sciences and just animal sciences about agricultural issues and, and interface with a great group of people with whom I can work to help address some of those issues, which is very exciting for me. In the role of assistant dean, I also have the opportunity to interface with industry, NGOs, and government. And so, again, you know, having that, that pulse, having my hand on the pulse of those individuals and organizations, also it, it allows my mind to just be broader and I can think more broadly about things, which I, I like, um, and, and think of ways to solve issues um, related to the field. In addition to that, I also work very closely during the summer, so everything's kind of coordinated, but during the summer with our youth program, so we have several residential agricultural-based programs where students get to come onto campus and do a two-week residential program where they're doing a micro-research project, but also being immersed in all things agriculture. And I work very closely with with the World Food Prize Foundation as well, um, serving as the director for our Alabama Youth Institute. Um, So all of those things just are very exciting to me. So I I get a chance to really kind of think about um, how to put the puzzle pieces together from K-12 all the way to college and into um, the professional realm and then being involved in manners as well as other professional societies like the American Society of Animal Sciences as well as the study, the Society for the Study of Reproduction allows me to, to continue to interface with my colleagues um, across the country and beyond to be thinking about the issues that, that plague us in this space. So very exciting. Um, so those are all those hats. There. Those are a lot of hats. Do you sleep <laughs> at night, Olga? <laughs> I, I sleep a little bit. My students do often ask, like, Dr. B, do you ever sleep? <laughs> yeah. You know what, though, I think you hit on the key to, you know, really rising as a leader is having all a diverse range of areas that you're engaged in and from keeping your finger on the pulse in those areas to networking, um, you know, it, it really just all feeds in to that ability to lead in the role that you do. So I love that. That That is super key, I think, to, to leadership, whether you're women or men or whoever you are out there. Uh, but I do have one question. Do you have um, at, at Tuskegee, is there a large... Um, uh, population of young women who are engaged in the agriculture degree programs, or what? What are you guys seeing there? Because I know it's like a growing number across the country. I tell you, the face of agriculture has truly changed. I know that um, there's data to talk about how agribusiness did that, but I tell you, we're seeing agriculture change dramatically across all spaces. One of our largest programs at Tuskegee University is by far our animal and veterinary sciences undergraduate program, just as an example, um, which is, you know, made popular because we do have a historically black college and university veterinary school here and the only one at a historically black college and university in the United States. But in that program, as we're seeing in many of our programs in agriculture, we have as many as 85 to 90% female um, coming in every year. So way, way over the norm that one would expect to see. Um, in fact, we're fighting on the other way to, to make certain that we're keeping males in the field. Right. 
um, of agriculture at our institution because the women are taking over, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, I always, like diversity matters, you know, in age, in ethnicity, in gender, but you're right. Like we, we need all of it. Right. And so uh, that's not the first time I've heard that concern. Uh, But as uh, Farm Her, as an organization, it's always something we love to hear that those young women are engaging in large numbers. Um, So in talking about mentors and mentorship, I know this is something that has been important to you and you've engaged with many, many young women throughout your career as a mentor as well. Um, let's talk a little bit about manners. So uh, in in uh, identifying what that acronym is, it's Minorities in Agriculture, Natural Resources, and Related Sciences. Um, and so you have engaged in this program. Can you tell me a little bit about what manners is and why you uh, give your time to it? Well, manners is a national organization that I had the privilege of joining way back when in 1994 when I was a wee undergraduate student. And it was a wonderful transition into a national and professional organization that gave support and opportunity to minority students who were interested in agriculture, natural resources, and related sciences with an emphasis on the agriculture industry and related industries. Um, I know now STEM is a big push, and we're looking for folks in STEM to help us answer agricultural questions, but at the heart of it all, we need people who are passionate about agriculture. And Manners provides that opportunity for individuals who are passionate solely about agriculture and then those who may be in STEM and other related areas who are excited about solving issues in the agricultural industry. And as an undergraduate student, I became involved in that organization. It took me places all across the country, allowed for me to present research findings that I had discovered in the laboratory. Um, Because it is a national organization, it carried on into my graduate life as well, where there was a very active chapter at Missouri also. And it was just wonderful in terms of finding support. I already had a home as I moved from undergraduate to graduate work. Um, I left the South and went to what I'm going to call the Midwest, although Missouri tells me that they are Southern, but I'm like, I'm a little further North. I'm in Iowa. Midwest to me. Um, So it's very different, but I still had a group of folks who, who had similar interests, similar experiences and understood the passion that I maybe had for agriculture that others may not have that were in other disciplines that I may have encountered. Um, Likewise, that carried over into my professional life. And as I became a junior faculty at Tuskegee University, I was very excited to be involved in the organization and then to support other students with the opportunity to take part in all that Manners has to offer. And so I've been an advisor, and now I'm very active in the national organization as well, serving as president-elect this current year, and it just does something good to me and for me when I see the positive impact that it's having on young people, um, as well as long-term members. I have friends from the organization that I've known at this point for 20-something years who are also still involved in the organization Um, understanding the impact that it makes and that it has on the entire agricultural industry. And it's so important that we have organizations such as that 
as a part of our industry so that we can continue to be strong and diverse and bring in the strengths to answer all of these different issues that we have in the industry. Yep. Yep. Uh, Diversity matters in any culture, right? Like it, it is like one of the most important things and agriculture is a culture no different than anything else. And so, um, you know, and, and I think organizations like this, you know, you know, whatever your organization is, whether it's manners or, or any of the number of other organizations out there, these are the places that, that you find your networks, right? These are the places where you start to make those connections and it, it is so important. And another thing that, always strikes me, especially about thinking about, um, if, if you think back to yourself in, what did you say, 1994, when you joined this as, mm-hmm. as a young woman, um, you know, think about where your confidence sits when you're that age, right? And while you may not know it, then joining an organization like this goes so far, right? And building our confidence, whether we know it or not, now, like with some perspective, looking back, I, I just think it's so important. So, uh, Kudos to you for lending your time to uh, such an important organization as you've moved forward in your career as well. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So I've got a couple questions for you. Like making decisions is, um, you know, one of those parts and pieces of, of any leadership position. I'm sure you have this situation on a daily basis of, of how to move forward with one way or another. What is your best advice for dealing with making a decision? Like how do, how do you deal with making a tough decision? I want to say be fearless, but it's not really being fearless. It's don't be afraid of failure Yeah. because failure happens, but you must try and try again. Um, You know, when we think about things historically, no one really achieves on the very first time that they try something and it's okay to fail. It just gives you information. And as a researcher, I definitely have to remember that because research specifically means to search again. So, and I think I move forward in my leadership and decision-making accordingly, understanding that even if I don't come to the answer that I maybe wanted to or the resolution that I wanted, my step forward will still yield information that will get me closer to a resolution. But you can't be afraid to fail before you take that step. And that's the most important thing. I I tell people, if you wait until you get the perfect answer, you will have been passed by so much. So go ahead and take that leap. It's a, you know, it's, it's not a mindless leap. You know, you want to weigh everything around you, but definitely taking that leap and not being afraid to fail. That is uh, fabulous advice. I mean, it, it's got to be there, right? And and I think um, being a leader in any industry, in any area, you, you have to be able to make those tough decisions. And so mm-hmm. um, fail, fail fast and move forward, right? Get up and dust yourself okay. off. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think everybody has these windy paths and sometimes they're difficult as women in the agriculture industry um, and as it relates to you in, in science and, and research as well, uh, and being a minority, right? Uh, there are so many places that you find yourself where you are, you are the minority in the situation uh, in, in many different ways. And um, has that ever been difficult to navigate? Has it ever like stopped you a little bit? Or how do you, how have you, you know, pushed yourself beyond that? Because um, 
you've obviously done that. And so I'd love to hear a little bit about your take on that. So I think it may actually come from being used to being the only. So in my small town, (laughs) I'm from a small town, um, my mother was the only African-American teacher at her school for some years. Definitely the only one in her department. And having witnessed that, and she still, you know, went about her day, um, there were times growing up I was the only African-American in my class. And we're just from a small town, so I wasn't in suburbia. We weren't separated from everybody else, but I was in the gifted class, so I sometimes was the only African-American, but I was able to form, and and without trying, because, you know, when kids are kids, they're kids, I was able to have the opportunity to interface with all types of people, Um, non-minorities. In our town, we had black people and white people, and that's just where we were in the South. Um, There were Baptists and Methodists, and that was fine as well. Mm -hmm. And so lots of my friends, you know, I grew up with, you know, being around, um, white people. And so it, it wasn't a thing for me. They were great friends, still are great friends. You know, when we talk and things these days, we talk about things that happened when we were in kindergarten. Okay. Mind you, in my neighborhood, I was not in an all white neighborhood. So I was around African-Americans as well. So I was very comfortable in different spaces. Um, I had family growing up in New York City. And so we used to go visit them. And so I saw different types of people from an early age and knew that people were different. Um, and, you know, New York is all about different cultures and different right. foods, especially back in the 80s. So great melting pot. So back in the 80s, it was great to have a melting pot, not as much division as we see now. So I just grew up in a space where it was good to be different. And you got a chance to learn and learn from others and things of that nature. So you didn't have to fear rejection because you were different. And so probably with my, you know, rose-colored glasses just kind of moving through life. I addressed a lot of different opportunities and challenges um, with that way that I'm supposed to be here. And it's okay that I'm different. And it's okay that other people are different. I mentioned my internship in Idaho. Um, I went my summer after my freshman year, and my roommate was a Mormon. And that was cool. I got to learn about Mormonism. You know, so... So for me, growing up and, and moving along and doing a lot of the work that I do, it took me a lot of different places, got a chance to interface with a lot of different people domestically and globally. And so to me, different has always been good. I always tell people I'm, I don't like the, the term diversity. What I like is inclusion. Diversity, you know, emphasizes differences. Inclusion specifies that, hey, let's look at our differences and all enjoy them. And so I think I just kind of address things and and look at the world like that. Um, And I've always had different types of people in my life as an undergraduate student. My major um, faculty advisor, he was from Ghana. And so I embraced learning about that culture. Um, And so it's just been a blessing. and And I think that that probably is why I have been able to kind of move forward and not had to really focus on and just did it. Not that I did it consciously. Um, It just subconsciously, I just didn't focus on why I couldn't or why I shouldn't, because I always thought I was supposed to embrace and enjoy all that was different. And so that's what I do. Yeah. Well, I, 
I love that. Thank you. I, I wrote that down and I got to keep that with me being the only, <laughs> right? Um, there is some, instead of thinking about it as something that's difficult, uh, there's some, there's some magic in that as well. Right. And, um, so mm -hmm. I, I love your perspective on that. So, um, uh, two fun questions as we get ready to wrap this up. What does the world need more of? Um, you know, you can't go wrong with song. And so definitely the world just needs more love. And that's, that's a true thing. Yeah, I love that. Great. Okay, what does the world need less of? Um, I think the world needs less of focusing on differences and worrying about differences and why that's a bad thing. Um, again, I, I, I believe that, you know, I think different is good. I don't want everyone to walk and talk and think like I do. I mentioned I have a lot of sisters and we have a lot of similarities, but we are very different um, in a lot of ways. Um, but we all still love and revel in life and each other. And, you know, and, and that's what I can see. And I can see that, you know, taking place. We love family um, and all different types of family. You're you're the family that you want to show off and the family you don't want to show off, you know, we love both of those uncles equally. I love my uncle who's a preacher and my one who's so far from being a preacher. <laughs> I love them equally, you know? And so I think that that's important. And I think that if we had less divisiveness and, and less selfishness and people just thinking so much of just about themselves and, and people looking out to others and how they can be a blessing to others, we would all be in a better place. Yeah, for so sure. So less selfishness for sure. Yeah, I like that. You know, it's it's been interesting over the last eight years. I've been to photograph somewhere in the neighborhood of 350 women around the country, different farms, like, uh, you know, urban, rural, big farms, small mm -hmm. farms, like every, everything you can imagine, right? We, we've really tried to um, focus on a wide array. And, you know, at the heart of it, while they're all so different and, and maybe some differences that seem like insurmountable, right? And, and maybe how they do it or, or why they do it. But at the heart of it, like we're all really doing it for the same reason, right? Like our heart is mm -hmm. all in, in at least agriculture. And I think um, that, that speaks exactly to what you're saying is, you know, these differences are all here, but let's embrace them because, um, you know, our hearts are all in, in the same place. Um, so I love that. Um, okay. Well, one last thing. Uh, what piece of advice would you give to the young women who are out there listening to the Olga back in 1994, um, you know, as she's looking at what her road's going to be ahead of her? What, what piece of advice could you give a young woman facing um, a career in this industry? Um, I think the best advice that I could give to a young woman is just stay true to yourself. Stay true to what you believe and what drives you and think about how you can do something as opposed to why you can't. That's great. I love this. I got quotes all over the place from this episode. <laughs> so I have really enjoyed this conversation and uh, hopefully we can have another one someday. Uh, real quick before we go, I want to uh, share the Manners website. And if anybody's interested in learning more about that organization, it's manrrs.org. Um, and so thank you for sharing about that organization as well, Olga, and for joining us here on Farm Her Talks. Thank you so much, Marty, for having me. It's been great. Of course, of course. Well, everybody, I hope you enjoyed that episode of Farm Her Talks. 
with a focus on Everybody Eats because as you know, Everybody Eats and all food starts at the farm. Thank you.